Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on day one of our circuit break lockdown. The Minister for Education, Sport and Culture is here in person, and the Minister for Health and Social Care and our Director of Public Health are joining us via Zoom today. Let me start by handing over to Minister Ashford for an update on testing numbers from the last 24 hours. We will come back for an update on vaccinations and other matters a bit later. David. Thank you, Chief Minister. The total number of tests undertaken now stands at 33,703. The total number of tests concluded stands at 33,681. The total number of people awaiting a test is uh, test result is 22, and the total number of new COVID cases identified in the last 24 hours is 17. That means we currently have a total number of active cases of 70. 67 of those are in the community. Unfortunately, three of those cases are now in Nobles Hospital. Of those 70 active cases, 14 are now from unknown source. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you, David, and that's a poignant reminder of how quickly this virus can spread. Thank you to everyone who has contacted 111. Now more than ever before, it is critical that if you show any COVID-like symptoms that you call 111 and seek advice. We need to identify and isolate the virus as quickly as possible. I know that the 111 line has been swamped over the last 24 hours and has had some technical difficulties. We are working with Manx Telecom to try to resolve this. In the meantime, please persevere. As you can imagine, the contact tracing team and 111 are dealing with a considerable volume of work at the moment. We already have approaching 300 households that we have directed to self-isolate. And as we move through the contact tracing, there will undoubtedly be more. As you will be aware, a number of pupils, teaching and support staff at two of the island schools have been asked to self-isolate and to wait to be contacted by 111. I would like to bring in Minister Allison at this point to say a few words. Alex. Thank you, Chief Minister. Yesterday was difficult for many young people as they said goodbye to their teachers and friends for the next three weeks. All our schools, nurseries, playgroups, childminders and UCM are now closed for the majority of our children. We did not take this decision lightly. Our island is facing other assaults from COVID-19, but this time a mutation has made it spread faster than before. That is why testing, tracing and isolating cases is so important. We all have a role in this, but especially those individuals who have already tested positive. Since yesterday, more positive cases have been found in our school community. At St Ninian's Lower School, all of Year 7 and 8 and identified staff are now self-isolating and are being contacted and traced. At Balasala Primary School, Years 3 and 4 pupils and certain staff are in the same situation. I would like to thank all those people for doing the right thing, for staying at home and being tested, so that we can do our best to get on top of this situation as soon as possible. Today, vulnerable children and those of our essential workers were able to access their own school. 674 pupils turned up at their primary school and 92 students went to their secondary schools. This compares in the first lockdown last year when 259 pupils turned up to primary and 40 went to their secondary school. 
Overnight, regulations came into force to restrict movement, close premises and intervene in people's lives again for the good of our community. It is vitally important that parents keep their children at home. It is the safest place for them. We know the capacity within our schools that we can safely maintain using physical distancing is restricted. Some of our schools are already close to that capacity. If we continue to be pressured to accept young people who could otherwise be studying from home, then this challenges our ability to safely deliver not only teaching in schools, but also remote learning. The criteria for essential workers is published on the government website and is quite clear. These are jobs critical to the COVID-19 response or one of the critical sectors listed. Given the present pressures and potential spread of the virus, we are asking every parent to think twice about whether you need to access one of these hub school places. We do not want to be in the position to have to turn people away, but I will support all head teachers to make the right decision for their school. As we work through the next three weeks, we will continue to improve and develop the remote learning offering for pupils. We do not want parents to feel they have to become teachers. Please continue to be yourself, but try to encourage and motivate your child to engage with their teacher and work either online or at their desk. These next three weeks will be difficult for all of us, but by working together we can get through this and emerge stronger as a nation. Several people have already asked me about the Easter holidays. The academic timetable and school holidays are set out years in advance after full consultation with teachers and their representatives. The aim is to split the school terms into manageable lengths for students. If any holiday is moved in time, then students would face an exceptionally long half-term as a consequence, running into the summer. The timing of school holidays is also shared with all government departments and allows a large number of people to plan their holidays and work patterns around their families and others to support their work colleagues. The Department for Education, Sport and Culture will review all ways we can support working families during these difficult times. As we emerge from this lockdown, we all need time to recover, to reflect and to heal. There are no current plans to alter the school year, but we will be planning activities for young people throughout the holiday periods, as we did last year. But now is the time to get our young people's education back on track, to continue their learning, to recognise our shared concerns and to look after our well-being. Now is the time to care for each other and support our students so that they can achieve their full potential and have the future they planned for. Thank you, Chief Minister. And thank you very much, Alex. Your message to families is an important one. Home is the safest place at the moment. If you can keep your children at home, please do so. Our swabbing team are already working at pace and this is likely to increase significantly as we move through the coming days. I need to prepare you for what we are likely to see in the coming days. The number of positives and the number of active cases will increase fast. This is certainly what we have seen elsewhere. If there is a silver lining to this black cloud, it is that cases that we are seeing now come from transmission in the past. The measures that we now have in place will help to prevent future transmission of the virus, but it will take time for us to see the impact of the circuit break in our daily numbers. The numbers will get worse before they get better, and maybe significantly more. I need people to be ready for this, and I do need to remind you that the measures we have in place will only work if everyone keeps to the rules. With everything you do, 
Please think about your island. This virus is vicious and invisible. Every slip-up, whether it is by accident or through someone thinking that the rules don't apply to them, can have massive effects. Please do the right thing. I would like to move on to our vaccination programme. As I said yesterday, once enough of our people, especially our most vulnerable, are protected through vaccination, we should be able to make different decisions. The programme is working at pace, the team has pulled out all the stops and is working long hours. I know there has been a lot of comment about the need to move faster. I know there is a certain amount of frustration, but there is also a certain amount of misinformation. I will hand over to the Minister on this in a second, but I do just want to share a couple of the headline statistics that have caught my attention. A first dose has now been given to everyone in our Priority Group 1 who has chosen and has been able to have a vaccination. This is residents and care homes and their carers. This is an important milestone. Looking at things more broadly, Priority Group 2, so those who are aged 80 and over, and frontline health and social care staff, is now at 83% for first doses. And Group 3, those who are aged 75 and over, is at 84%. Our recent focus has been on our Group 4, which is those who are aged 70 and over, and importantly, those who are clinically extremely vulnerable. I am pleased to see that this group is almost at 40% for first doses and increasing fast. If we take all four of the first priority groups together, so that is a cohort of almost 23,000 of our most vulnerable people, almost 70% have now had a first dose. And this is people who have had it, not just been offered it. When I was briefed this morning, the team told me that on current planning, and if nothing disrupts that, we are on track to have given a first dose to everyone in the first nine priority groups, so that's everyone over 50 and every adult with underlying health issues around mid-April, and every adult by the end of May. So still some way to go, but this is excellent progress. Now, David, do you want to add to this? I know you also want to pick up on some issues around booking vaccines. David. Yes, thank you, Chief Minister. I most certainly do wish to add to it. Just to say that the vaccination programme is on track. As the Chief Minister has just said, we are on course with the over 50s and the vulnerable groups for them to be vaccinated by mid-May um, for first dose and everyone else or in the adult population to have had their first dose by the end of May. That is exactly in line with the situation in the UK and we should finish both our phase one, which is the 50s and the vulnerables, at the same time as the UK in mid-April and also the wider adult population at the same time as the UK as well. So the processes are working well. The clinicians' views is that it's clinically safe. As the Chief Minister said, we're halfway through Group 4, which actually is on the timescale that we laid out at the very start of this vaccination programme. We're moving to double volume on Monday due to increased vaccine supplies. So people will see the figures being roughly around about a thousand vaccinations a day. The over 65 letters have now started going out as well. And those with underlying health conditions, their letters will be starting to be dispatched late next week. In relation to the vaccination programme as a whole, when people go to book vaccines, the process is that people will receive an invite letter. They will then ring 111 
at that point, 111 will register them and say that they will ring them back with an appointment. That is the normal process for booking. That is not a reason for anyone to be concerned. 111 will ring back and then arrange and confirm a time for booking of both first and second dose. One of the other issues I wish to speak about, if I may, Chief Minister, is I know there's been quite a bit of reaction on social media to the answer to a written Timwell question yesterday around vaccine wastage. So it's not actually the case the way it's being reported on social media. It's not wholly accurate the way some of that reporting seems to have gone out and the context seems to have been lost as well. So, as I said, this came from a written answer to Timwell yesterday around the level of vaccine wastage. We have to be clear, there will always be in any vaccination programme a level of vaccine waste for various reasons, such as half doses left in vials, mixing processes, etc. But also, once a multi-dose vial has been opened, it has a relatively short shelf life. In fact, the best way to minimise wastage is to have a mass vaccination hubs, which is exactly what we have done. You will never, with any vaccination process, have zero wastage. That just is not physically possible. It is also the case, of course, that after, at the end of the day, due to no-shows, there may be vaccine left. To be clear, we already have a list of people in the vaccination categories being done at any one time that we can bring forward at short notice to be vaccinated, and this does happen daily. Each day we have a list of 10 people who can be called up at short notice to be vaccinated who are within the vaccination categories we are already being doing. But there will always be days where, for whatever reason, there is a very small level of wastage. I actually think context is always very important. The waste being referred to in context is 0.15% of vaccines delivered to people. That's less than one vaccine every two to three days. That is much lower than any other jurisdiction's wastage that I can find, and also substantially better than most normal vaccination programmes. Pfizer, for instance, comes in vials of five doses and AstraZeneca in vials of eight to ten doses. The World Health Organization states that standard wastage rates for ten dose vials, their estimates are around 15 to 25 percent in an immunisation programme. To give further context, the estimated annual wastage countries see from the annual flu vaccination programme is normally anywhere between 1% to 6%. The World Health Organisation estimates that average vaccine wastage, uh, which it regards as normal, is around about 5%. The Canadian province of Alberta is a good case in point, as that is being held up and hailed as an example of how waste can be minimised by using hubs and having standby lists to avoid waste from no-shows. Their reported waste is 0.3%. Ours is half of that at 0.15. So it's not quite the picture some on social media have been trying to paint. The staff involved in the vaccination programme have worked exceptionally hard to minimise waste, and I, for one, think they're doing an excellent job and want to thank them for that. Another topic I want to very briefly touch on is in relation to key workers and the vaccination. I know that a lot of key workers are very keen to have the vaccination and they want to have it as quickly as possible. I do need to emphasise again, though, that we work to the JCVI priority list 
as this places the vaccination schedule in order not of someone's likelihood of contracting COVID-19, but the likelihood of that person having serious or life-threatening medical episodes for the virus. If we start moving around the schedule and prioritising different groups of key workers, then it will leave large amounts of the most vulnerable unprotected for longer. The vaccine deliveries are spaced out. They're not even every week as the manufacturers produce the vaccine and ship it in. And it is important that all of our early orders and our priority for these doses we have now are those that are most at risk at harm should they contract COVID-19. That is where our priorities are and that is where I believe our priorities should be. So I know that people in different groups are keen to have the vaccine, but the priority for the programme must be those not that are likely to contract COVID due to their work environment, but those that if they do contract COVID will have serious repercussions as a result. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you, David, very much for that very important update. I think it was very important to clarify an awful lot of misinformation that is sadly flying around this island at the moment. And before I go to questions from the media, I would like to say a word about accurate information. I know that social media can be an important way for people to stay in touch with loved ones, but it can always be a way for inaccurate information to spread. We all know that there is nothing more powerful than the Manx rumour mill. Please think carefully before you share information. Think about whether the source is reliable. Think about whether you, are, you might be sharing. What, what you might be sharing might harm others. We know that the one of the things that really, that's really important to people is getting the right information at the right time. Government will always do what it can to get information out as quickly as possible. One tool that we are increasingly using, as well as traditional and social media, is a system called Everbridge. It is our mass notification system. It's easy to sign up and it allows government to alert you quickly and easily about important or urgent information. To sign up, search for Isle of Man Emergency Planning or go to gov.im forward slash stay connected and then click on the link to sign up. If you are watching this online, there should be a link at the bottom of the screen. Or keep your eyes on government social media channels where we will be sharing details on how to sign up. I will pause now for the moment. Let's go to questions from the media. And first today we have is Alex Bell from BBC Isle of Man. Good afternoon, Alex. Fast am I. Good afternoon. Chief Minister, you, you speak today with a pessimism that I've not heard from you in the best part of a year, really. Why do you expect the outbreak to grow so much further and more devastatingly this time? And do you believe it's anything to do with the action coming too late? No. Um, first and foremost, I've, I've looked to see what's happened in Jersey and Guernsey, who have sadly been through this process ahead of us, where I think um, Jersey peaked at just under 1,000 cases, active cases at the time. Jer um, Guernsey at about 400 active cases. We're obviously dealing with a new variant. We've seen a number of cases um, since last night that have come in, um, which has been a, a significant increase. This is not something that we've, we, we've had in the past. Now, when we agreed to lock the island down, we, um, we moved pretty quick. I think we, we, we told you um, what was happening um, yesterday. We shut down this morning and 
Um, I, I think we've been as if, if you look at when we've shut down before, it's, it's been exactly the same times. We have obviously waited for the data to show that we do have a problem because if we locked down and it was a false um, call, then we would have had severe criticism from the public that we'd gone into a lockdown without all the correct data. So, you know, we, we listen to the advice that we get. We've called it as quickly as possible. There's been no change in um, from previous lockdowns in, in the speed with which we've done it. It's just, it would appear that the new variant does move quicker and therefore we are expecting to see more cases. But we have, I'm not being pessimistic, I'm just trying to prepare people that instead of being told that there's been an extra two, three cases maybe overnight, we could be looking at a, a significant number. What I've seen in the past is you get a spike over a week and then it comes down and you get on, on top of it and that's what I expect to happen. But I'm just trying to set the scene that if people see increases of 20, 30 in, in a day, that is not to be unexpected. So I'm just trying to prepare people so that we don't have a panic going forward. I don't it, know it, if, if um, David or Dr. Ewart, you want to add to that? Yeah, yeah if, I, if I may, Chief Minister, I, I don't, you know, I think the point is, Alex, again, that word I always use for anyone doing word bingo, cautiousness. We need to actually, we need to be very cautious about this. And I think it's important we get the message out to the public that, you know, this is, this is a serious matter. The government is taking it seriously. That's why we brought in the measures. I announced in the figures there before that we've now gone to 14 cases of unidentified source, certainly to me, and I'll bring the Director of Public Health in a minute, just in case she's got a different view, but certainly to me, that suggests that there's potentially multiple chains of transmission somewhere under the surface. And as a result of that, we do have to brace ourselves over the next few days, as the Chief Minister said, for the next week, we probably will be seeing increased case numbers. Thank you. Dr. Ewing, yes, do you if, want to come in? If I can come in there just to say that that's absolutely right. We've got widespread transmission now across the community. And we also have to just uh, remind ourselves of the incubation period of COVID, which is 14 days. So even if everybody locked themselves down absolutely stayed at home, nothing else from now on, there would be a number of people in that situation who are already incubating and would go on to develop COVID over the next 14 days, which is the incubation period. So we'll expect to see new cases resulting from pre-circuit breaker transmission up to and including 14 days. The peak for that should be around five, six, seven days, given the average length of time for new cases to appear during the incubation period. And if we also remember the R number um, in populations where there are no mitigations, so again, that's pre-R circuit breaker, that's likely to be around 3.5 for Kent variant, which is what we've got. So if we think even about the known cases, potentially having infected three and a half other people. Some of those will already have been isolated because they were high-risk contacts, but the ones that weren't and were out and about, they will have, you know, seeded further cases of transmission that we'll be waiting to see over the next two weeks, but mostly over the next week. Um, so we will see, we're not at the top of the peak yet, is the, the answer to that. We will have a, a way to go before we get there and start to see the cases dropping off. 
Thank you. Thank you. I think if you look at the timescale, Alex, on Monday morning of this week, we only had four cases that were unexplained. We thought uh, by Monday lunchtime that um, two of those cases could be um, related to a, a previous outbreak, and therefore there was no cause for concern at that time because we'd gone in and we, we'd done um, a high series of testing of those high-risk cases and they'd come back as negative. However, by Monday evening, we then got another two cases which could not be explained and we instantly put out our press release, called a meeting first thing on Tuesday, locked down, here we are today. So I think that's pretty quick. I don't see any any delays there. We've gone in pretty fast, as, as is always something that we do. So your next question, Alex. So, yeah, just to clarify on that point, I, I guess, you say when there are cases which are of unexplained provenance. Have you been able to identify a chain of transmission parallel to the steam packet cluster? And if not, does that make it more likely that indeed this community outbreak does relate to it in some way? We, we haven't been able to tie back these latest cases to the initial steam packet case. It could well be that like um, the second lock break, we had two separate um, problems where, where we'd had leakage of, of the virus into the community. At this moment in time, we cannot say. I don't know, Dr Hewitt, if you want to expand on that. Thank you, Chief Minister. Yes, in terms of analysing clusters and outbreaks, we're always interested in persons, times and places. And with the 14 unexplained cases... We cannot at the moment find any links between the persons, either those 14 cases or those in the known cluster, um, or the places. The places are becoming more widely spread, but we can in terms of time, and the timing certainly indicates that it's spread from that original cluster, but through missing links, people who for whatever reason didn't get picked up or did get picked up and haven't followed their um, you know, the guidance they've been given for self-isolation and we'll probably never know the actual explanations for all of that. So Thank just you. for absolute clarity there, um, Dr Hewitt, are you fairly confident that this community outbreak is perhaps in some way linked to the steam packet cluster? Yes, that would certainly have to be our working hypothesis until we've any reason not to think that. It doesn't seem to link in time to any other events, such as other travellers who come across the border. Again, we can't always be absolutely sure about that because not all travellers opt for the testing programme. So there will be some travellers who we do not know what status they were at any point, or indeed whether or not they breached self-isolation. But on the evidence we have and the timings that we have, the hypothesis would still be that it's related to the steam packet outbreak. Thank you very much, Alex. Next, we move on to Simon Richardson from Business 365. Good afternoon, Simon. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. My first question is for uh, the Health Minister, if I may. Um, Minister, in regard to the people who've been admitted to Noble's Hospital, is it possible at this stage to give an update on their condition uh, if they're giving any cause for concern? Also, you've alluded in a recent briefing to the pressures on the hospital from normal winter ailments. Um, what would happen, and I stress this is uh, very much the doomsday scenario, if Noble's Hospital became overrun with new COVID cases, is there an arrangement in place um, with any UK hospital, NHS or private, for Isle of Man patients to be treated over there if necessary? 
Yeah, so in relation to that question, Simon, um, we do have arrangements with UK hospitals. We have done throughout the pandemic period. Those arrangements remain in place, but we do have to recognise the UK is under its own pressures and its hospitals, although it's been easing in the UK, they're still at a very high level. So one of the things we've always done throughout this entire period is try and build resilience so we aren't reliant on the UK. So there are various things we could do. We can expand, as we did in the last um, outbreak last year, we can expand ICU. We can double our ICU capacity if necessary by taking over one of the operating theatres there. We can convert wards to COVID wards um, to deal with that. So there is resilience planning in place. All the plans that were explained to people last year and all the things that the hospital did at that time, we can do again. And in fact, it's near enough exactly the same time of year um, as was last year. So uh, we were facing exactly the same challenges that we did then as a health service. In relation to the three and nobles, um, I don't receive individual updates on their conditions because I'm personally not entitled to that. That's medically private. Um, I'm only normally told if there is a serious issue with one of them. And I'm happy to advise at the moment I have not been told of any serious issue with the three patients. So I would read into that that the three are in hospital are currently what I would term stable. Thank you. And secondly, for Dr. Ewart, uh, please. Um, Dr. Ewart, with 14 people now um, receiving the virus from unknown sources, um, is it your view that this is going to be a much more difficult outbreak to control than the previous ones that we've had to deal with? It's certainly going to be more difficult than the Christmas and New Year ones, which we managed to keep completely contained. And I think, again, drawing on a parallel with Guernsey, they have very strong um, track and trace and containment measures, very, very similar to ours. And six weeks in, they still haven't completely closed down sporadic community cases, although hopefully they're getting very close to that point. So I think, you know, we do have to say we, we may by chance do better than Guernsey, but on the other hand, we may not. And is the potential for those strains to include obviously the Kent variation, the Brazilian and South African strains as well? Uh, if we start finding other strains, whether other UK strains or the, the Brazilian and South African you've mentioned, then clearly they're not all linked to one event. There will be other seeding events. Uh, again, we would always hope to catch those imported cases as they come across the border. Uh, it's obviously easiest where the person has opted for testing because then we know as soon as they test positive that they're positive and the variant they've got but as I said before those that opt not to be tested we don't know whether or not they had it we would only know that subsequently if it popped up in the community but by that stage we wouldn't be able to link it back to a specific travel event so you know those things we will have to deal with if they happen and please god they won't thank you Thank you very much, Simon. Now we move on to Sam Turton from Jeff. Good afternoon, Sam. Faster my. Faster my, Chief Minister. If I could ask the uh, health minister, uh, sorry, the education minister, sorry. Dr. Anson, you said there were more cases linked to the schools. Do you know how many cases these are? Which schools are they linked to? And in terms of Bema Hague, why, there's only three years in that school. Why was the whole school not told to isolate instead of just these two years? Yeah, I mean, turning to Ben, ben Haig first, when we first became aware of a symptomatic case um, in one of the pupils there, that year, year, entire year group was put into self-isolation with, with their families. 
what the track and trace team have then been doing is working outwards, figuring out exactly who they mixed with. And so we've then had to expand that both for, in terms of year seven and year eight. When we went in, first we went in fairly aggressively in terms of trying to control the spread, but through the contact tracing it, it certainly became apparent that that has spread wider, um, and so we've had to contain those two year groups, which are quite a substantial number of children. You're talking about um, 222 in year 7 and 176 in year 8, so we don't close down those people's lives likely but we did it on the, the, the right um, data and on the right clinical advice. In terms of the other schools, at the moment, as, as I said, um, Bem Haig is affected. Balasala is also um, affected with some symptomatic cases there. I've talked to both head teachers, and, the, and those um, young people, although they've got some mild symptoms, are doing otherwise quite well. But the work now is trying to trace... Um, exactly who they've been in contact with and certainly with Balasala we, we ended up closing down the whole school because a number of staff were, were also felt to be at risk. Um, with closing Balasala we haven't moved any children to any of the other schools, we managed to contain it there including for, for those children of key workers which was seen as a very important um, aspect of this um, prevention of spread and I'd really like to thank all, all those staff members and all those parents for being so responsible in terms of responding to, to, to this threat to our community. So just on that, do you have a number for how many cases are in the schools? If not, could you ask somebody to circulate that to us all later? Certainly. I mean, what we're doing at the moment is, is trying to compile that data. The track and trace system and, and the staff there have been working around the clock. We're talking about doing contact tracing on hundreds of people to get these cases. And what may start off as one or two positive cases can suddenly mushroom, as the Chief Minister has commented, which is why we're taking it extremely seriously in this occasion to come down really quite aggressively to control the spread of this virus. Thank you. And then just secondly, for uh, the health minister, we have um, people saying to us about the booking for vaccine system. They're obviously they're calling and they're being on hold for a long time and then they're getting the call back. Why have we not moved to similar to how Jersey and England have done it with an online booking system where people receive a code and then they can go online and pick an available slot and book it themselves? What we do, Sam, is we release slots um, as and when we know we've got vaccine supply coming. Uh, we believe that the 111 system is the most efficient way to do it. I know that 111 had issues the other day. There were technical issues with it, which we've been working with Banks Telecom to resolve. Um, in terms of 111, one of the other pressures, of course, they've had is they have also been doing the testing for those which we've just spoken about in the schools. So they've had a high volume of people they've been arranging tests for as well. What I would say to people is please bear with 111. If you continue to ring, you will get through and you will get booked in. Um, but I think the most way we do it is a very efficient way. It ensures it can be booked properly. There's no confusion and that people can get an appropriate slot. But as more people get onto the vaccine list later in the year, particularly more young people, does not make sense to look at increasing the use of technology. We are looking at it. So, uh, sorry, I should have stated that. We are looking at it. Um, but I do think at the current time, with the cohorts that we're dealing with, um, the 111 system is the most efficient and effective way to do that. There will always be times of peaks 
And yesterday, I think for quite obvious reasons that people will understand, 111 had a very, very high peak of calls, but they are a very efficient team. We've put additional manpower into that team as well within Cabinet Office and 111. So people will be able to get through if they persevere. And also we've had a new set of cohort letters go out, which I believe is about one and a half thousand letters. And one of the good signs, I think, is the fact that it appears there's a high take up of people wanting the vaccine. So that's actually a good thing. Thanks very much, Sam. Now we move on to Paul Moulton from Isle of Man Television. Good afternoon, Paul. Fast am I. Good afternoon. Um, for Mr Ashford, and um, back to these vaccines and the, 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 the vials that have been left over, um, you can give us all that sort of science about other countries and how much is left over, but let's just get down to real business here. This is the Isle of Man. 15 people right now could have had that first dose, and even if you had to go out onto the streets, you would have People have bitten your hand off to have that. Have you put procedures in place so it can't happen again? Paul, there will always be vaccine waste. Um, I'm not going to sit here and lie to people. In any vaccination programme, there will always be vaccine waste. I've just laid out how it works. I mean, like I say, the World Health Organisation, and this is in jurisdictions small and large, Paul, so we're not talking just large countries. I use the Canada example because they're being hailed um, for the way they've dealt with waste. Um, but you will always end up with it. You can't just pick people up off the street. We've got to have a clinical process. We've got to know people's medical history to know whether the vaccine is suitable for them. We have a call list to allow people to come forward. So people who are already registered already have a slot. They have indicated to 111 they can be called at short notice, and we call that down. So like I say, I think context is important because the way it was going around social media was as if we had all these vaccines being wasted left, right and centre. It is equivalent of one dose roughly every three days in the vaccine programme, if you actually work it out. 0.15%. An ordinary vaccine programme would see waste of roughly around about 5%. So I think the work the team have done to actually pull people forward and fill slots, I actually think is astronomical because they've been able to book the trend that you would normally see with vaccination programmes. Okay, is it because people aren't turning up or you are getting that extra dosage out and you don't know that until you literally got that last bit left over, which I think people understand that one, or has there been quite a failure on people turning up or not, not wanting to go ahead or something? Yeah, for various reasons, you will always end up with no-shows, people who are ill. You, you even get people who sometimes will forget appointments. Um, so there will always be no-shows. And wherever possible, like I say, we've got this call list that we go to, and that was included in the Timbald answer, but seems to have been missed off the piece that several people have um, put out on social media. Um, we do have that call list to go to. We call people up and we've been filling the slots. If we hadn't been doing that, the wastage would be an awful lot higher than what we're saying. But like I say, context is important. It's 0.15% of the actual vaccines delivered into people's arms. Um, you know, in, a, in the flu jab period, you would expect to see between 1% and 6% wastage is what the World Health Organization says in those sort of immunization programs. And Alberta in Canada, which is being held up as a shining star as to why you use mass vaccination hubs to push people through, because you get a quicker throughput and less waste, um, is, is recording 0.3%. They're being hailed for their vaccine waste. Our vaccine waste is half of theirs. OK, you can put me on the list, by the way, if you want to ring me at any time. Um, when, when we reach your age group, Paul, um, and you've got your invite letter, if you let 111 know at the time of booking that you are available to be called at short notice, then they will put you on the list. 
Fantastic. Chief, Chief Minister, um, you're talking about the social media and the hairs that are running. Um, clearly, these press conferences are the, the point of contact each day. But there's two things here. Either you move to a format that actually will work better. Two questions, maybe not enough. We, in Guernsey, when they do press conferences, they just ask questions until they finish. Like we did, we started this that way. So you're restricting us in, our, in itself. And we both, I think all journalists get lots of questions from the public. I do, and I'm sure others do. So there's that, but also, could you not put somebody onto social media? Their job is to stop these rumours before they get out of hand. Well, we do put um, messages out to people. I mean, let, let's go back to your first question, Paul, about wastage. It seems absolutely bizarre to me that we have one of the best records in the world, if not the best in the world, when it comes to wastage, and we've still got people trying to sensationalise and say that we're throwing away vials. It, you know, it, it, it beggars belief that people could twist this sort of story in, into something as serious as... Um, and then it goes around social media that the Alaman is throwing away loads of vials. It, 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 it's so disappointing, and that's why we're asking people to say, look, don't go spreading stuff. If you don't know that to be true, then don't go, you know, saying it. The, the number of questions um, that we give to all the media, I, I've had an awful lot of people say that the minute it goes to questions, they switch off, that they've, they've had enough. You may not like that, but that's the, the feedback I get. So we think well, two questions. If you're the eighth actually, person at the end of a media question. briefing and seven of your colleagues have asked 14 questions, then you're going to really struggle to think of, of a sensible question that's factually correct, and then you're not going online and saying, well, Joe Bloggs has said this and Joe Bloggs is factually incorrect. I mean, the other day we had a um, one of the media saying that 75%, only 75% attendance at a primary school in Peel. So I went away and checked, it was 96% attendance. The facts were totally wrong. So we have to, I think, 16 questions is more than adequate for you to get the, the frequently asked questions that people need to say. But you're quite right if there is a way of... Um, getting out frequently asked questions out to the media then that's what we try and do with our social media and we i do believe that on our website we have frequently asked questions and the answers for people to go online and, and have a look at but it's been really disappointing that people should try and spin that the government and our hard-working team who are doing an outstanding job with the vaccination program are wasting vials when they've got one of the best records in the world so a bit bizarre paul OK, but I disagree that I think lots of people do listen to the questions because it's their questions that most of us are asking. So uh, you'll hear one thing, but it, this is such an important point of contact for most people to have reassurance from you. Because let's face it, we're not in the right place at the moment. And the Guernsey model shows that we are going to go up for some time, as you said already, which could lead to a much longer lockdown than three weeks. Absolutely. And that's why we've had press briefings Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, um, Wednesday, Paul, um, to to answer these questions, but equally, um, you know, they they, they we, we are trying to communicate as best as we can with the public, and it's not just the question time that we do. We're regularly going out and um, doing um, press releases to let the people know of various situations in between the conferences. And equally, I know some people get press briefinged out. They they don't want them every day. They just want to. Um, you know, when we've got something big to say that they're wanting the conferences. But I'd, I'd like to bring David in, who I think wants to add to that. 
Yeah, yeah, thank you very much, Chief Minister. And, uh, you know, it's not just the press briefings where we engage with the media and the wider public. I hope you'd accept, Paul, that, for instance, I myself do quite a long-form interview with you once a week. Yeah. Um, we did that, was it on these track days? I think it was yesterday we did it, um, yesterday afternoon. And we're due to do another one on Sunday where there's multiple questions asked. You can drill down into information. Um, when, we, when, when we started to see problems the other night, I immediately went live onto Manx Radio Update and then did a longer form interview for Manx Radio. So as a government, we are going out there. We are communicating in different ways. So press briefing format isn't the only way to get questions asked and questions answered. Um, I think, you know, we have other ways of engaging and we do that and hopefully we'll accept, well, you know, I'm never afraid of going out and asking, answering questions. We did a session yesterday. We'll be doing another session on Sunday. Thank you, David. Yes, I'll see you Sunday. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, Paul. Now we move on to Helen McKenna of Alaman Newspapers. Good afternoon, Helen. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. I do hope that everyone's still listening at this point. <laughs> Um, so, first of all, um, my question is for the Education Minister. A lot of parents uh, of pupils from Ramsey Grammar School have been asking why uh, the Year 8 netball and football matches on Monday afternoons, this was obviously between St. Indian's High School as well, uh, weren't cancelled as testing was most, most likely already underway. These sort of decisions, the, the very operational decisions, are very much up to the head teachers, um, which I support absolutely, um, you, you know, to, to, to the hilt. Obviously, the head teacher at the time, as we were having very much a developing situation, their assessment was that the risk was relatively low. And again, we know that, that, that outdoor events are relatively low risk in terms of spread of, of the virus, um, particularly when you've got good ventilation as well, like, like, like a hockey, hockey pitch. Um, looking back, could, could that have been um, cancelled? It could have been, but at the time, again, on, on Monday, we had a very much a developing situation, in, particularly in terms of schools, and so that wasn't seen as a, as a particularly high risk, and so that decision was made. The decisions have been made this week, particularly at Ramsey Grammar, in terms of cancelling another range of, of, of events, because we've now brought in quite strict restrictions, and those have now been passed through legislation. As a follow-up to that, obviously there's a lot of anger from, from parents as there were four netball teams and two uh, football teams. There's quite a lot of children. So have you been reiterating to parents that you're, that you're doing all you can? Well, I, I am now. Um, I, I must say I, I live in Ramsey and, and none of the um, parents that, that, that I know have complained to me personally, but I take on board their concerns. Um, we are dealing with a particularly infectious strain of coronavirus. We will do everything possible to keep our students safe. And just to reiterate the message to parents, from now on, the best way of keeping your children safe is to keep them at home. That is the way we're going to break the transmission tra train of this. But what the contact trace team are doing is looking at all these events, looking at all the people who have now been found to be positive and working back to give that reassurance to people. If I can just put this into perspective, um, Helen, just to add to this, it was only on Monday evening that we knew we had a problem. Before then, we'd had a situation that we thought there was links to a previous outbreak and that uh, isn't as serious as having cases that are un, 
um, that we don't know where they've come from. We only found that out on Monday evening. To be fair to the school, there was a major rugby tournament on Tuesday morning and that was cancelled instantly. So um, you, you can only react, to be fair to the school, when you've got the data. And the Council of Ministers didn't have the data um, showing that there was a serious problem until Monday evening. And we, we reacted straight away, shut everything down. The NSC was shut the following morning. And as I say, this big rugby tournament, which is inter-school, was also cancelled. So I'm just trying to defend Ramsey Grammar School here, that they didn't have the advice that there was a major problem at the time it went ahead. OK, thank you. My second question is for the Health Minister. Can you say exactly how many clinically vulnerable people and those aged between 70 to 75 have been vaccinated so far? It was mentioned earlier that it was 40%, um, but some people um, in the priority group four haven't actually received letters yet, but people aged between 65 to 69 have. Yes, the final group of letters has actually gone out um, to the over 70s and in the priority group. They, those final set of letters went um, earlier this week. At the same time, we always run the cohorts um, overlapping. So people will now have been receiving letters for the group below, which is age 65 to 69. Um, they do overlap because we need to keep the churn over of people registering because as our vaccination orders, particularly in March, um, tick up and we get more deliveries into the island, as I mentioned in my remarks earlier, we'll be vaccinating up to a thousand people a day. So we've got to keep that volume of number going. We can't just wait for one cohort. The UK tried that shutting initially. They've changed position now, but sending out letters to one cohort and then stopping. If you do that, you then end up with a slowdown in the vaccination as well and potentially a gap while you call others. If you bear with me one moment, Helen, I'll tell you exactly um, what the actual figure is in that group. Um, but you can't, like I say, you can't just, um, you can't just actually... Um, slow down because otherwise you'll come to a stop. Um, unfortunately, I can't get the dashboard up at the moment because I'm actually on this call at the moment, so it won't come up for me without me disconnecting. But um, off the top of my head, um, I think if it's 40, if it's about 40% of the cohort, I think coming close to 50% that have been done, then it will be roughly around about, it will be roughly around about 2,000 people. It'll be about 1,700 or so, I would have thought. Thank you. Just before you, um, we, we finish on that, Helen, if I could sort of put this into context regarding vaccinations. Now, I know if you're waiting and, and you, you have a health issue, you're waiting to be vaccinated irrespective of your age, I can understand your concern that you want to get that jab as quickly as possible to, to start the process of your, your body building up the antibodies to protect yourself from serious issues. But if you, if you park Israel, which is probably the best performing country in the world, the United Kingdom kingdom is, is either second or third in the world for rolling out the vaccine and way ahead of all of Europe and by the end of this month we will be on par and on track with the same percentage of doses delivered as the United Kingdom so it puts I think the health minister says in the top 10 five percent of countries in the world for the speed with which we're getting the vaccine to our people so as I say I understand the concern of people wanting it as quickly as possible we are doing our very best and, and, and our best is is pretty impressive compared with the rest of the world but I think the health minister may now have the figures so I'll bring them back in. 
Yeah, sorry, Chief Minister, trying to juggle two sets of technology, staying on this and actually bring the figures up um, at the same time. So, Helen, I can give you the figures. In relation to first doses within this category, there's been 2,993 administered, um, with 24 second doses administered as well. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Helen. Next we have is Josh Stokes from ITV Granada. Good afternoon, Josh. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. The general feeling amongst people both on the island and further afield at the moment is how. How has the Isle of Man allowed the virus to once again spread after having such stringent measures and being in the fortunate COVID-free position it found itself in? Now, you say the government acted as quickly as possible. So was this lockdown in the end inevitable? Well, we've always said that there may well be chances going forward that we may need to bring in a lockdown. We've had to do it, sadly. No one wanted to do it, but the minute we realised that the issue was starting, we went in quickly. As I say, if you, uh, we went in, we, we, were, we were on four on Monday morning. The minute we went up to six, bang, we, we'd agreed lockdown. We had everything in place. We announced it first thing on Tuesday. We're in lockdown now. That's pretty quick. I don't think you'll get too many jurisdictions that can do that. When you allow people to move onto the island, you are always going to have the possibility that there will be an outbreak. Unless we say, right, no freight onto the island, whether that plane or, or, or sea, no people can go off the island or come onto the island. Unless you do that, there's no way that you can keep this virus out. You reduce the risk significantly by all the measures you put in place. But sadly, as we've seen, something's gone wrong and we're in this situation. Something went wrong at the end of December. Something went wrong at the beginning of January. We were lucky with the one at the end of December. Sadly, the January one had gone further afield. We needed to do a circuit break. We quickly came out of that. We've had a month and sadly, we've had another situation. Now, as I say, if this was to happen in a month or so's time when we've significantly increased the number of vaccines to the people, we might then be able to make a different um, decision on what we're going to do. But just at this moment in time, unless you totally lock the island down and allow nothing to happen, which we can't do because we, we need consultants to come over and check on our, uh, our vulnerable people at Nobles Hospital to provide a service. We need certain machinery, whether it be the power station or the incinerator, these sort of things to happen. We're, we're, and freight to come in, food to come in, with all that having to happen, we can never say we will never eradicate um, COVID-19 on the Isle of Man. We're, we're coming up to the anniversary of the outbreak of COVID on the island. And if you look at the t last 12 months, the Isle of Man has been business as usual for nearly eight out of those 12 months. That's not bad. You know, there's not going to be many places in the world where they can boast that as a record. Now, we have this problem now. We've gone in quick again. We expect to see a significant rise, a peak over the coming week, and then hopefully we will get it back under control and we can move forward again. But we're just trying to be as honest, straight with people, giving them the facts, and that's the best we can do. And you said the numbers will get worse before they get better and they could greatly in increase. Are you able to put any sort of prediction on where we could see these numbers go given the current rate and the current spread? And given the rate is climbing now, and are you preparing to see more active cases in the island's first wave back in March and April last year? And what precautions are you already putting in place for that? Right, well, really, it's sort of taking a guess. I don't know, Dr Ewart, if, if there's anything you can add on to where you expect, given the numbers that we've had so far, whether you can see this going. It, it's hard to put a figure on it. We are looking at the experiences that Guernsey had 
were very similar to Guernsey on, on how we react. They peaked at 300, about 400 active cases in their latest lockdown, which they've still not come out of. So because we have similar um, geography and we've been following very similar rules, um, it's, you could expect that that may well be the case. But we, we can't give an ex exact science. I'm just trying to prepare people that you are going to see an increase before it gets better. When you see a start of a spike, um, you have to go through that spike or curve before you go back to... Um, better, more controlled figures. Dr Hewitt. Thank you, Chief Minister. Yes, these things are pretty well impossible to model on a population of our scale. And even on large populations, the models are the one thing you can know always is going to be the case is the model is going to be wrong. And if we think of you know the models that have been talked about in the news in the UK, they have always proven to be wrong and the same is the case for us simply because there are so many multiple variables that in variables that impact that the most you can say is it may be a number between this and that smaller your population and the more your assumptions the wider that range is so it's really not desperately useful to try and call where within that range you think you're going to be because you'll inevitably be wrong um, i talked earlier today about the r number with no mitigations which is kind of where we were until um one minute past midnight this morning so people who were infected and out and about will likely have infected around three and a half other people but even that doesn't hold because that's the average and in reality depending on a whole host of factors that we don't fully understand that relate both to the infected individual and the people they come in contact with it is quite possible for an infected person to either infect nobody else or to be a super spreader and infect a large number of other people. And again, we've no way of gauging whether all our cases that we're out and about will be down the lower end of that, or whether we'll be unlucky and find we've had a bunch of super spreaders. We, we just won't know until we work through the next 14 days. And as I said before, the kind of hopeful factor in this is that a lot of our cases were already high-risk contacts and were self-isolating. So they shouldn't have infected the general public, although, as we've said before, you know, your highest risk is your household members. So any of those who are self-isolating in a household, there is a risk of secondary transmission within that household. But then again, because they were self-isolating, that shouldn't be going any further. So you can really see from what I'm saying there that there are so many variables and so many assumptions that we would have to make to model it that really it's not useful and we're just going to have to be prepared for what we see over the next two weeks and particularly over the coming week. Thank you. Okay, Josh. Just following on from that to you, Chief Minister, yeah. that, that preparation, what kind of preparations are being put in place now if the numbers do increase further than we've seen ever here on the Isle of Man during this pandemic? Well, obviously, all the teams, whether that be at Nobles Hospital, the Track and Trace team, the 111 centre, they are all being looked looked at to see are there ways that we can ramp up the um, support that we're giving these areas. Obviously, we had all the plans in place way back in March. We, we have Ward 20 at Nobles Hospital, which was kitted out for a number of beds. We brought in our own oxygen supply. We, we are far more experienced and we know what's happening and, and we can handle um, bigger numbers because we're in, a, we're in a much better position where we have more knowledge um, of, of how to 
handle this and what works and what doesn't work. So obviously our, our goal team are, are meeting with their colleagues to discuss um, scenarios where we may have to ramp up our, um, our teams that deal with, with either the tracking tracing or the, or the phone calls. That's in place already, Josh. So I'd just like to reassure people. Hopefully it's not going to come to that, but you have to prepare for the worst case scenario, which we have done for, for quite some time now. Thanks very much. Now we move on to Leanne Cook from 3FM. Good afternoon, Leanne. Fast am I. Good afternoon. My first question, um, year sevens at Ben Mahig, those they live with, year three and four at Bellasella Primary School and some teaching staff there have all been instructed to self-isolate and await contact from the 111 service. My question is just looking for clarification for that contact. I'm wondering how long should people expect to hear back from the 111 service? Will everyone be contacted? And thirdly, if people aren't contacted, what, what should they do if they aren't contacted at all? Thank you very much for that question. In in terms of the, the advice we've given, and again, as the Chief Minister has said, sometimes we're getting positive cases really quite late at night and having to act on it. So I'd like to thank you know the media for publicising some of the press releases that, go, that can go out at, at very, very awkward times for you, I, I know, as well as for uh, for us. I mean, at um, Burma Hague, we've got 222 Year 7s and 176 Year 8s who are now all being asked to, to self-isolate with their families. I know that the 111 and Track and Trace Service have been contacting them ever since this, this really its ugly head on Monday. They've dealt with an awful lot of them in terms of asking them to self-isolate and have been calling them up, sort of, as I said, dozens at a time for testing um, to try to perceive the risk and then take it from there. So I know that the testing service are going to be doing hundreds of tests a day from now on and ramping that up and actually take, bringing in more swabbers to deal with that capacity. In terms of Ballasella, we've got, we've got a, a as I said, it's a slightly smaller school. We've got 35 children there, 18 members of staff and four supply teachers um, involved, all of whom are, are, are being asked to self-isolate, all of whom will be approached, and, and many of them have been approached already by the contract tr tracing team. If any of those people in those cohorts haven't heard um, from the contact tracing team, please phone 111, give them your details. We've got all the lists from the head teachers in terms of who's been involved, but if we have inadvertently missed anyone or you're not quite sure whether you are at risk, please contact the 111 service and they'll be able to deal with that appropriately. And my second question is also for yourself, Dr. Allenson. Um, regarding Balasala, correct me if I'm wrong, but with the Ben Mahague students, advice was given for those that they share a house with to isolate. But with year three and four at Balasala, no mention was given to those that they share a house with. Why, why was that? It, it's my understanding that the um, exact same advice was given for, for, for those households, that if uh, a child was identified at high risk, that the entire household would have to go into um, self-isolation until they were contacted, until they were tested and then given further advice. What we're trying to do here is deal with a very transmissible variant of the virus. We know that it can, unfortunately, affect um, children far more than the previous variant and possibly the same as it affects adults. So we are taking this very seriously to try to close down um, the, the, the ability for households to mix, even inadvertently, and try to bring numbers down as soon as possible. So just to clarify, the families of those in year three and four at Balasala, should, should they self-isolate until further notice? I would like them to self-isolate until further notice. They will be being contacted by the 111 service to give them further advice based on the risk 
that's perceived in that environment. And obviously, that, that, that advice is based on, on, on facts, on data, and on the number of positive cases. Thank you. Thank you very much, Leanne. And now, last but not least, we've got Tim Glover from Manx Radio. Good afternoon, Tim. Faster my. Faster my. Just before I ask my questions, just to help you with uh, getting the preparing the way and the, the seriousness of the things, I think it's the first time since the 16th of April we've had double-digit figures announced in cases, so that brings it home a little bit. First question is to the Health Minister. I... Returning as well to Helen's question, uh, with people over 70 who've not had their letter, even though they're in the vulnerable category, they've checked it out uh, and made inquiries to 111 and GPs. And these people are saying that they've been missed off the list. They're not even on the list and the data that you've got. The GPs are saying, well, it's a 111 issue. And the health is saying it's a GP issue. It's a little area of concern, I would imagine. Um, well, if that is happening, it's actually a big area of concern as far as I'm concerned, Tim. Um, I need to be clear how this actually feeds. The records of people's dates of birth, etc., and which category they fall under come from the GP records, from the primary care records. We use that as the basis for people to be called up. So we look at the date of births that are contained on people's primary care records. So if people have examples of that, I'd be very interested to hear it because if people aren't being called up under certain cohorts, we need to see if there is an issue there. I've taken their numbers, so can I pass those on you? To most you most certainly can. If they're happy for me to have that information, then I'm happy to look into I'll it. I'll check that out. And my second question is to the Chief Minister. I'm going to go to where we started with this. Uh, you said you've asked the Chief Secretary to look at the issue of the Manx uh, cruise of the steam packet, and people are coming back saying that's just like someone marking their own homework. Lib Van is calling for a Timor Public Accounts Committee inquiry. The shipping union, the RMT, is now involved, saying ferry workers must not be blamed for this outbreak. It's not going to go away. When will you ask for a full and independent investigation? Well, first and foremost, Tim, it's up to um, if Timmel wants an independent investigation, that's entirely up to Timmel. I've asked the Chief Secretary to organise, not for the mm -hmm. Chief Secretary to do the investigation, but for the Chief Secretary to have a person do an independent review for us to find out what did happen and what can we learn from this and go forward. So we are not blaming anyone. We're saying it's a genuine misunderstanding. And we're, we're you know, as far as I'm concerned, we will find out... Um, what's what's happened here we'll review it and make sure that we put in measures to ensure that it doesn't happen again but at the end of the day no one is infallible um whether it's it's our team or at the steam packet team misunderstanding the the rules we greatly um support the hard work that the steam packet have done in getting our freight and all the people back to the island and, and off the island and all the food that we need so we are working with an organisation that has to mix with the UK. It is um, a concern. There were um, mitigation measures put in place, and that was that staff wore PPE all the time whilst on board. And also the, our team thought that the um, Steam Packet crew were then isolating when they came home. Steam Packet obviously thought it was just their English crew that were having to do this. This 
it's being investigated. Well, it's being reviewed. As I say, I'll get a report from the Chief Secretary and we'll make sure um, that lessons are learned from this. But at the end of the day, it's not going to fix the situation. It's happened. We need to get to the bottom, to, to stop the spread and um, get the situation back under control. And if, if the Liberal Van and Party want a review and Timwell agrees, well, that's what will happen. Thank you. Thanks very much, Tim. Thank you very much for your questions and thank you for everything that you are doing. I know this is not easy and I know that many of you are deeply disappointed that we've had to go back into a circuit break lockdown. I am too. But given the circumstances, it was the right thing to do. We just need to get through the coming weeks to ensure our vaccination programme can continue at pace so that we can move into a different phase. For now, the message is simple. Stay at home. And I must really implore you to adhere to this rule. Please only go out if you really do need to. The more people we have at home, the less likelihood of this virus spreading. How quickly we can bring this outbreak under control is in all of your hands. Please be responsible. We all have such an important role to play through our decisions and actions. If you do have to go out, please wear a face covering as much as possible. If you feel any symptoms, please self-isolate and call 111 as soon as possible. Respect the rules and we will get through this. Please make the right decisions for you, your family and your island. Thank you all very much.